Hello swimmers and welcome to Torpedo Swim Talk. Today's guest is ultramarathon swimmer and triathlete John Van Wisser. There you go, Mark. Hi John, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Danny. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Where are you coming to us from today? Um, I've just got out of Port Phillip Bay, so I just got home. So I'm in um, Brighton, Victoria. Oh yeah, because we're in a bit of a, a bit of a lockdown here in Melbourne. So you're lucky that you're uh, by the bay and able to get in. How many swims have you had over the two week lockdown? Oh, I've been swimming every night. Um, well, the weather's gone bad now. We had we had a really nice little patch last week where it was sunny, and I actually had a dolphin swim right past me, first time ever. Oh wow! And I think it was last Wednesday. Yeah, it was amazing, but. Um, yeah, since since then the weather's turned bad. Yeah, I know it's it's a bit of an arctic blast at the moment, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, just, uh, well, it turns up the bay a little bit, doesn't it, for visibility and yeah. whatnot. Oh, uh, we're used to it in Melbourne. It's uh, it's all good. <laughs> I'm glad that you've managed <laughs> to swim. <laughs> Look, we've got so much to cover today, like your swimming, ultramarathon, Ironman, coaching, and boxing. But I wanted to start off with how you first got into swimming as a kid. Oh, dad, dad really put us into swimming um, when we were kids, so we had no choice. We were like, he was a hard man, and uh, yeah, he got us swimming really young. I think, actually, I think we were drown proofed at like six weeks old, ironically, at the Harold Holt pool. Oh, right. Um, yeah. <laughs> and then we were put in the squads um, probably when I was probably six years old at Gloria Robinson, and then went to Jim O'Doherty's when I was probably seven or eight. Um, he was fantastic. And then then I was at, um, where do I go next? Ted Tolberg in, in Blackburn. Ted was fantastic. And I was done it up at Dick Campion, who was the Australian marathon coach. And he was based in um, the Armadale Swim School. He had his own pool. That was that was when I was doing my real heavy training. And yeah, he was he was fantastic. So I had, I had heaps of great coaches. I've been really blessed. Yeah. What, what sort of pulled you away from pool pool swimming because you're a pretty decent pool swimmer what what got you into the marathon swimming oh not really i never really did i trained in the pool but i was always doing more life-saving uh, i was never really a pool swimmer so so um it did, mum and dad put us into life-saving when i was at black rock life-saving club probably when i was nine or ten years old and i kept going till i was about 27 i, I loved it it was great it was a great life yeah um yeah so so yeah we had great times at black rock and yeah, so probably probably more the life saving and the open water stuff than than pool swimming. I wasn't really didn't really race that much, and I was a, we were at Cheltenham Swimming Club, um, so we do do competitions there. But I wasn't big into into doing you know nationals and states and things like that. Yeah, probably not lot, not far enough for you. <laughs> yeah, too too slow. <laughs> <laughs> so, what was your first um, marathon swimming race that you entered? Oh. My first one, geez. Uh, probably my f- my first really long one would have been in Italy. Um, uh, we had to swim from this island called Ponza, where uh, back to the mainland, which was forty three k, and um, we took a, a boat over the night before. And I remember the boat took over an hour to get to, get to the the island. I'm thinking, geez, we've got to swim all this way back, and you couldn't see where <laughs> where we left from. Thinking, oh no. So I was so nervous, and um, we, and it was a limited field. It was probably about thirty people. We had dinner the night before, and I was thinking, "Geez, oh, these guys won this, and you know that person's won that." And I was really nervous, and and then it ended up being 
very windy. So it was a gale force wind and and uh, I was over in Florence training. My sister was dating Sergio Carandini, who was second in the world, an Italian marathon swimmer. So we were, we were based in Florence. So yep. we, we were training um, in Florence. It was fantastic. And Sergio had won that race five or six years in a row. So he was like the favourite. And um, So I think I only got in because of Sergio because I was a no-name. And, um, and it, was, yeah, it was really rough conditions, four, six, four, six wins. And yeah, I was nervous as and. Went out really hard. I was actually leading for three quarters of the event. Wow. And um, yeah, I was all excited. And uh, over there, it's the it's a real privilege for the for the boatmen who are fishermen if you first cross a line. So when when they got me as a swimmer, they were all upset because they thought, oh, I've got no chance with him. Who's he? <laughs> and then when I when I was uh, leading with about 10k to go, they were getting all excited. And they stopped feeding me because you know they Sergio was catching me. I was still first. Sergio was mowing me down and, you know, they wanted to come in first. So they stopped feeding me and I was, you know, ranting and raving in Italian, hurry up. And <laughs> and, um, and uh, Sergio ended up catching me. I ended up getting second to Sergio. Um, but we both ended up having to go to hospital because it was real bad conditions and I was low on sugar. And I remember I was in the ambulance and um, I just wanted to sleep and the, the person just kept slapping me. And I was thinking, well, just let just let me sleep it. The thing is, if, uh, I was so low on sugar, they didn't want me to go to sleep. Um, so that, that was that was the reason it was dangerous. <laughs> wow. And I remember the, the next day we had the uh, the after party and, um, yeah, I was like I was like kind of, you know, a semi-hero because, you know, I nearly beat Sergio and I was an unknown. I was only probably 19 years old. Um, so, yeah, so that was probably my first real long swim over 20K. It was, that was a 43K in real tough conditions. Um yeah, from, from uh, the island of Ponza. Wow. And so from that, you obviously learnt a lot about the nutrition that you take during a marathon swim like that. What what would you sort of recommend for people if they were looking at doing an English Channel type swim? Depends how long you're going to be in the water for, Danny. So um, well, I have a theory that if you're real fit, you, you don't need food for, for eight hours. You can get by on fluids long, as long as you, you can stomach it. And I'm big on having, you know, uh, feeds every 20 minutes, but quick feeds, yeah. um, just keep your insulin levels stable. So really any, oh, I mean, I've tested lots of things like Ribena and I had Big M the first time I swam the channel, you know, right. chocolate Big M's and Ribena. Yeah. And back then they had this powder called Maxim, which was the latest thing. And that was basically a carbohydrate powder, which you could put into any drink, which was tasteless. And that, that was really good. So it's basically um, just keeping your insulin levels stable so yeah, I'm big, I'm big on feeding every 20 minutes with fluid, uh, whether it's a sports, whatever drink you can handle, um, just to keep your calories up, to keep your insulin levels stable. And I always feel that if you if you're starting to get tired towards the end, feed every 10 minutes, but really, really quick. Don't stop and have food because when you're swimming, you know, eat, just eating like a, a normal chocolate bar or any sports bar can take you know a minute because because all the blood's in your in your shoulders. It's really hard to eat in the water. Yeah. Um, so you, you can waste a lot of time. So when I did my double channel, I was coming back having food like baked beans and stuff like that. But I reckon if you're doing a race and it's it's less than you know it's around eight hours, you should really just have um, fluids and and have fluids you know often, but have really quick feeds like three second feeds and just uh, just so you know you don't you don't waste time. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, I was um, podcast guest that. Um, 
her episode hasn't dropped yet, but she's a, a pilot um, for um, a company in San Francisco and she was talking a lot about the feeds, similar yeah. similar view to what you have as well because I think a lot of people think, oh, I'm going to go out there and eat a banana or, or whatever, but it, it's good to know that it's yeah. more fluids and she was saying also the gels, a lot of those um, sports gels as well on the longer swims are good. Yeah. I actually remember there was a, a brilliant Australian swimmer called David O'Brien, and he used to he always eat bananas, and he would do backstroke, and he would keep eating the banana while he's doing backstroke, and you just see this banana disappear, you know, while he was actually backstroking. <laughs> so, so yeah, you can you can do it, but you just want to save time, and basically you're just trying to keep your calories up, but with something that's going to take you know only a few seconds to get down. So whatever you can stomach that keeps your insulin level stable and consistent. I mean that's the go, but uh, if you try and eat food, it it does it, it tends to take a lot longer when you're in the water. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's all those things to think about too, isn't it? With all those. Yeah, long- I mean it depends what you're trying to achieve. If you're just trying to get across the other side, and you you don't mind you know taking a minute to have a feed, but I mean they all add up. If you're feeding every twenty minutes to half an hour, and you're going for you know ten hours, it there's there's another half an hour on your time. You know, it's like yeah. Absolutely. And out of these um, marathon swims you've, you've done, what, what's the hardest one? Like you've done Manhattan, you've done obviously a double crossing mm. English Channel, um, the one in Italy that you spoke about. What, what was the toughest one yeah. that you, you did? Oh, well, my first channel was um, I had to get resuscitated. That was in 93. I was really skinny. I, I struggled to put the weight on because I was swimming massive Ks and I was still young. Um, so yeah, I, I just didn't eat enough, and I I went there with a six pack, and and with, I had a really bad summer. The water was probably thirteen, fourteen, and we had gale force winds, and it was just a bad summer. Um, but I thought I'd still get across, and I was going really well. And it was big waves, and I was four k from France, and I and I stopped breathing because I had to get pulled out and resuscitated by by Dawn Fraser. So um, of all people, so we were really lucky to have Dawn on a lot of our swims, and I just remember wait. Uh, waking up in one of those silver space blankets with Dawn hugging me. I'm like, what happened? It's not, it's not good. <laughs> he didn't finish. So, um, yeah, that was a tough, tough swim. But that was quite peaceful. That wasn't, yeah, it was quite strange. It's like reading a book or watching a, a movie late at night and you think you're going to watch the rest of the movie and end up falling asleep and you wake up the next day and the telly's on. It's, it, was, it was quite peaceful. So that wasn't that wasn't really tough. Probably my double channel was, was um, one of my hardest swims because, yeah, the first way was really rough. Um, and also my Ash Arc swim because I went on a massive tide. And, um, you know, I'd run 140K before going to the channel and the last probably 400 metres took half an hour. I was, you know, struggling to beat the tide in, so that was that was pretty tiring. Yeah. Um, yeah, and the, the Ponza swim, that was a tough one. That was another really hard swim because that was my first one and, yeah, I was low on sugar and, yeah, it was, you know, tough, tough conditions. So there's been a few... I probably forget a few too, but uh, yeah, I don't know which one was the toughest. But there's been a, there's been a few, but there's been some good ones too. So yeah, well, we uh, you just never know. You never know what you're going to get. <laughs> so we should focus <laughs> on the positives. What what's the your favourite of those uh, marathon swims that you've done? Oh, geez, probably my second Manhattan swim. I was swimming really well. Uh, was just everything went really well in training. Just um, yeah, my second Manhattan, which I think was two oh nine yeah i was swimming beautifully in the pool and yeah swimming really i I do 
I was doing a lot of 15 1Ks in the 50-metre pool and then I would jump out and go straight to the beach and do another 3K in the speedos, you know, in winter and just to toughen myself up. And you know, I was doing really good swim times and I beat all the relay teams that year. And, um, yeah, I just felt great that year. So, yeah, all, all my training went well. I didn't get sick. No injuries. I just uh, had a real good patch. And, yeah, that, that was probably one, one of my favourite swims was, was my second Manhattan swim. How many um, entrants do they allow in that swim? Oh, 30 or 40 and, and relay teams. So, yep. so yes, yeah, so everyone, everyone gets a kayak and a boat. It's, it's magnificent. Um, so, you know, New York's such an incredible place. And unfortunately, you swim around anti-clockwise and I breathe to my right. So most of the time, you know, you look, yeah, <laughs> I saw the Yankee Stadium, but most of the time I'm missing all the, all the big buildings because I'm breathing into New Jersey instead of, you know, breathing back into the back into the island. But, um, yeah, it's an amazing place. Um, I, I love the event. It was great. Yeah, I, I was thinking about that actually because Rod, Rod Watkins said the same thing. He yeah. breathed to the right and he missed the whole of Manhattan. Yeah. It's a bit hard when you're right-hand breather. Do they make you go that way <laughs> because of the tide? Yeah, it's a tidal swim. So so by the time you get to the Hudson, you're actually going a lot running pace. It's amazing. Oh, um, really? The tide picks up. Oh, yeah, you're flying along. and um, you, start, you start at Battery Park near the Statue of Liberty and you swim around, you know, as I said, anti-clockwise. Yep. And when you go up the Harlem, that's the kind of the dead spot where it's, you know, it's um, flat water and there's no current. And then you go under the spot, spot and dive or bridge, a little tiny bridge, and that takes you into the Hudson. And then about 2K down, you swim under the George Washington Bridge. And then by the time you get the George Washington Bridge, the, the current starts picking up and then you, you try and stay around the middle of the, of the river. And, uh, yeah, you're just, you're just hammering along. It's amazing. You're going probably 7, 8K an hour, something like that. Wow. Oh, that's great. I, don't yeah. know, I know you just mentioned a little bit about the training that you did beforehand, but let's focus on that a bit more. So how much, obviously the Manhattan swim is a 48K swim. How much, yeah. how many Ks a week would you put in before a swim like that each week? Well, I was, I was pretty boring. I was just really going to the, I was going to MSAC, the outdoor pool, and doing 15 1Ks probably five days a week. And, um, and then occasionally I would get out and jump in the bay and do it two or three K extra to get my cold tolerance up because um, if if the race was in June, it was the water would be 15, 16. If the race was in July, it'd be 18. So depending on what uh, month the race was, it was either a cold water swim or or a warm water swim. But um, Back then when you were doing those, did you do um, any cross training then? Or was it? No, I probably, um, I started doing gym work probably about 210, 211. So I never really did weights till about 10 years ago. Um, yeah, I was just swimming. I was too tired. Like, if you're doing 15 1Ks, that's all you could do. I was just knackered. Yeah. So um, I'd, I'd work in the morning and work at night. And um, Yeah, so I didn't really have much more energy to do anything else. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and then, uh, obviously, you've done this um, Euroman Arch to Art. Tell us about that. Yeah. How did you get involved in that? Oh, so when, when we swam the channel, uh, there was a rumour that a French newspaper were challenging people to do that, but the reverse way. So that's how that first started. I was actually going to do it in the late 90s, but I couldn't get the funding, so so it fell through. And then it actually became an official event. Um, a great man, Edgar Edgy, he's the first man to actually do it. Right. He um, started a company called Enduro Man, which do ultra triathlon events. And the Arch Sharks, like the, the crown jewel of, of his 
endurance events. So you you so you so you book in a window. He uses one of the boatmen, uh, Mike Oram from the English Channel. And so you so you got to book in with Mike Oram and Edgar, and you obviously pay them a fee, and uh, they put an observer on and make sure everybody does the same course, and and um, yeah, they record it all. So so yeah, so that's how that's how that started. It kind of. Um, it became an official event and uh, everything. A, a good friend of mine in my swim squad, Tony Burke, uh, who was the president of Triathlon Victoria, and uh, he's like, he's like, come on, let's let's do this. Arch Shark, you always wanted to do it, so he he put a you know a, a crew together and put some money in and got other sponsors and we'd have group meetings, you know, of what we needed to 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 get, you know, a bike and you know we need to get the boatman sorted and get this. So every Every month or so, we'd have a meeting, and people would have a checklist that would have, that have to get all done. And so, yeah, so I was, you know, and uh, thanks to Tony Burke who really got that off the ground, and good mate Johnny Wall who put a, you know, who put big money in and sponsored it. He was another guy I coached. Um, so, so yeah, it was, um, it just fell into place, really. Yeah. How how um how far are each of the distances? Like, what do you, what's the the sort of makeup of the race? Well, it's called the Arch to Arc, Danny, because you start in the Marble Arch of London and hopefully you finish in the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. So, yep. so you run 140k to the channel, yep. and then you swim the channel, and you cycle from a certain spot in Calais to the, the Arc de Triomphe, which is 291 kilometers. Wow. So the clock, so you can have rest, but the clock doesn't stop, and ah. you've got to backlog it from the from the high tide of the channel. So. Right. So um, the more aggressive you are with your run, the riskier it is. So I basically backlogged 24 hours from the high tide. So whatever I did under 24 hours was my rest period. Right. Uh, but if you run, if you run 25 hours, you've rest, you've stuffed the whole event up. So so everyone works out how aggressive they want to be. And uh, so yeah, so the, the run's really important because you because um, it's a it's a brutal run. It's not a flat run. Yeah. And when you finish, you you really you really spent. So you got to work out how how much rest you think you need, and then obviously you have to run to that to that um, time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then when when I say the rest period, that's driving to your hotel. Then you got to get up, have breakfast, drive back to the to the Dover Harbour. You don't actually drive to the beach. You drive to the Dover Harbour, and you get in the boat, and the boatman takes you around in the boat half an hour to the to the beach that he wants you to leave from and then the boat can't go all the way in so you've got to swim the last 50 100 meters into shore fully get out of the water then you start to swim so the whole process right so when you see the total time that doesn't you know you got to take into account that you got to get back to the to your bed you got to have food you got to get up you got to get to dover harbor you know an hour before so that that's all that's all part of it so wow. yeah and then um when you swim the channel you've got up to 12 hours rest maximum but the clock's still going Right. And then your crew has to get you to the bike start, which every every person who makes it that far starts at that same spot in Calais. Yeah. And then um and then yeah you ride you ride the back roads really, which is a, it's a really hilly course. Um, so you ride the back way to the Arc de Triomphe, which is two hundred ninety one k, and it's yeah it's a tough it's a tough bike course, it's a really slow bike course too. So the whole event's hard. It's really uh, it's a hard run. Obviously the channel's a channel. And yep. the bike course, yeah, is really slow and hilly. So, yeah, it was um, strangely it was good fun though. <laughs> <laughs> For some people. <laughs> yeah, when you finish it is anyway. 
yeah, when you finished, it's great. I had a few stuff ups too. So when you get it done, it's uh, yeah, it's really satisfying. But yeah, it's a it's a brutal event. It sounds brutal. Are you allowed to have sort of a buddy along the way? Like, can you have someone run with you, swim with you, or you have to do it all solo? No, it's all solo. But um, yeah. but you've you've got a support crew. So we had two separate cars. So one crew's resting, um, then they take turns and. And you've you've got to accommodate the observer all the time. So the observer the observer's telling you which way to go and you know, making sure you're not cheating. And yeah. um and then when one crew's on the boat, the other crew's got to go under got he's got to get to to um to France and be waiting. So basically when we're swimming in, the crew on the boats, you know, radioing the crew on the beach saying, Oh, we're gonna land on this beach. You know, because I, I end up swimming 54k, I landed, you know, well off course because I was on a big tide. Wow. So, so they're 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 telling um you know the second crew oh, look, look, we're probably going to land in about half now but we're going to land you know down here, so the crew yeah so they get in the car and they meet us there and then they drive us to the hotel and then then yeah we you've got up to twelve hours rest but um, the clock's still going so then you've got to get make your way to the to the um spot in Calais where everybody starts from and start the bike from there so. So yeah, it's quite it's a lot of logistics involved. So it was a lot of meetings and you know, like I said, with Tony Burke organizing all that and trying to trying to work out all the the, the curveballs that could come up and you know, dealing with them if they did come up. Yeah. Wow, it's a massive undertaking. Yeah, no, no, it was it was huge. So I was I was really lucky. I had a fantastic crew and you know, that they, they were brilliant. Yeah. And you've also done the Hawaii um Ironman. Tell us about that. Yeah. Mate. Oh, I hated that because it's that's so hot. Obviously, it's so hot. I hate the heat. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's an amazing event. Like, um, it's the fittest people you've ever seen. Like, obviously, there's people from all age groups, and you, the week leading in, you see people running up and down, you know, along the beach, and everybody's got a six pack, and you're seeing like 70 year olds that are tan with a six pack, you know, that's way better than mine. I'm thinking, God, how fit are these people? <laughs> and the water's like 29 degrees, like a spa, and yeah, the, the air temps. 30 to 35 and it's super humid it's just it's just a brutal spot to do and you know an Ironman event and I I didn't have a very good racer I'm hopeless in the heat I probably need to spend a month there but could only you know afford to spend a week there and yeah. uh, I won the yeah. swim leg which is still still you know an achievement but um yeah. didn't have a very good good race there but um but yeah, those those people are incredible they're so fit and yeah um it's a, yeah you Everybody who gets there is, you know, is in tip-top shape and is on an ounce of fat there. And yeah, they're 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 amazing athletes. Yeah, yeah, amazing. I've I've seen it um, in documentaries and stuff, and it looks like a pretty brutal run and ride course out along those sort of like desert. Well, they're not desert plains, but they're so sort of um, void of any sort of you know vegetation and everything, aren't they? Yeah, it's like basically you have got the highway and then there's black lava on the side, you know, dried dried black um on it's like they say it's like being on the not that i've been on it's like being on the moon they say it's like just um you dried up dried up lava fields on the side of the roads um it's and it's very open to the wind so you often get really strong winds there so the roads are magnificent they're tarmac roads but but you often get you know gale force winds and one minute you're doing 10k an hour the next minute you're doing 70k an hour on the bike it's like the winds can change really quick and yeah. yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's an amazing spot to have an event, and it's an incredible, incredible atmosphere, and yeah, you, it's it's worth going just to watch it. Um, just uh, it's incredible. I mean, every every Ironman's amazing, 
Um, you hear the stories where people just go to watch a relative that's racing and they decide the next year they're going to do the event, you know, because they get inspired. And, um, yeah, but, yeah, Hawaii's really the pinnacle. It's just um, everybody who's there's, you know, earned their spot. And because um, to get there, basically, you have to have done another Ironman and qualified, you know, in your category. So you've had yeah. to come in the top percent um, to actually get there. So that's the World Championships of Ironman Triathlon, which Ironman in triathlon means 3.8 kilometre swim, 180k ride in the marathon. So there's Ironmans all around the world and they're all massive. And they all give a certain amount of spots out to qualify for the world champs, which is Hawaii. So so everybody who's got there is, yeah, is in tip-top shape and yeah. it's, an, it's an amazing event. Yeah, it looks amazing. And no wonder with all this experience you have um, in your background in swimming, you've ended up doing a lot of coaching. What type of mm. um, athletes do you coach now? Oh, Danny, I've got um, all kinds. So basically I'm able for anyone to turn up and, it's, a, it's really a mix of triathletes, open water swimmers, English channel swimmers and people, water polo uh, swimmers, lifesavers and people who just want to keep fit. So so it's a whole um, spectrum. Yeah. So um, I've had a probably 20 or 30 English channel swimmers over the last 20 years, I reckon. Wow. Um, yeah, so. But, yeah, it's probably probably mostly triathletes and, um, yeah, lifesavers. But, yeah, I get, get a few open water swimmers and, yeah. No, I'm really lucky. It's a great job and I love it. Yeah. How do you, with all those different sort of types of people, how do you set a program that sort of works for all of them or do you have different programs? Oh, I just have, no, I have the one general program, but I have different standard lanes. So I get like six to eight lanes and just have um, different yeah. standard lanes. So, so um, yes, yeah, so everyone pretty much does the same thing just off different time cycles. Yeah. And how far do they normally go in a session? Oh, just 4K, so. 4, 4K in the morning, 3K at night. So, because I've only got the pool for really just over an hour for, for the lane high. But, um, but obviously, if they're doing English Channel or something like that, then then I give them extra stuff um, after hours. And they, they have to swim through the winters and, you know, to get the cold tolerance up and do some long long swims in the bay and stuff like that. So, we work all that out. But um, yeah. yeah, my pool swims are basically anyone can turn up and it's just um, pay as you go. And so, I never know how many will turn up. I just hope it's busy. And, yeah. People just come and go, and yeah, obviously at the moment it's pretty um, it's dead at the moment with the COVID, but it's a great job. Yeah, and give us a, give us a bit of a sample of one of the programs you'd give them. You know, you like oh, it's nothing, program. nothing um, super. Yeah, I, I generally the mornings I'd do a three k main set, and that that's always a, I, I'd never really give them you know like thirty one hundred. So always there might be. You know, hundreds, but a mix of band and paddles and swimming and hypoxic. I try and make it interesting, so we always warm up with drills with fins and do yeah, do um, some uh, stroke work to to start with. And then the main set in the mornings is always three k, and and that's always a mix of you know speed work and hypoxic and uh, aerobic threshold stuff. And and then a yeah hundred cool down. That's that's their four k, and they most people then go off to work or off to school. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then I then I do a few private clients, and then um and then I do my own training, and then then I'm back there again at night. So then the night session's a little bit easier. The night session's um, three kilometres total and a two k main set. So it's the same the same thing. They start off with drills and then do a two k main set of different stuff and hundred cool down and get their three k in and yeah have a chat after and yeah do it get up again the next morning and do it again. Yeah, <laughs> sounds good. <laughs> 
Yeah, I've come across a lot of um, people that train with you and they always they always rave about your sessions. So I'd like to oh, get nice. to try one one time. <laughs> oh, it'd be great to have you. It'd yeah. be great to have you along, Danny. Come along. It'd be good if I could fit it in. Yeah, I will one day. <laughs> <laughs> and now you've got another string to your bow too because I saw that you're um you're taking on a professional boxing match. How did that all come about? Yeah. Oh, I don't know if it's a string to my bow. I'm trying. It's, uh, <laughs> it's a tough sport. It's totally different to... um. To swimming, obviously, it's um, it's very anaerobic and very technical, and uh, it's, we're swimming your heart rate. You know, if you're doing marathon swimming, your heart rate's generally you know set at a certain, you know, it's aerobic, and you, you switch your brain off. Where boxing, it's so anaerobic, and you've got to you got to think as you go and set up traps and things. Otherwise, you know, you cop a hit in the head. So um, yeah, it's um, but it's I'm enjoying the challenge, and I'm I'm good friends with a lot of boxers, and I. I live uh, with Sam Solomon, who was a world champion middleweight boxer, who's a who's a coach as well. And Sam's um, yeah, Sam's an amazing athlete, and and uh, so with another fellow, Johnny Locko, who's also big time into the boxing, and we're friends with Barry Michael and Jade Mitchell and Michael Zarafa, and a lot of those big boxers I've hung out with through Sam. So I really admire how they train and their fitness, and so I've always kind of done a little bit of it on the side of. Um, as a uh, cross training and yeah, it just, just turned out that I was actually going to have a, I had an amateur fight uh, probably about 10 years ago. And then I was going to have a pro fight three or four years ago and it, my opponent got injured. So it fell through. Right. So um, yeah. So they've been trying to get me to have a fight. Some of the promoters for a while. And I've always had something on, you know, an arch dark or I was injured or always had an excuse to get out this time. I, I just swum the Derwent and, I was injury free and there was nothing on. And um, a promoter called Jake Ellis, who's Lester Ellis's son, who'd asked a few times if you know through Johnny Locko if um, if, John, if I wanted to have a fight, and I always had something on. And this time I had nothing on, so I said no, it would look like a chicken. So I said, all right, I'll I'll take it on. And, <laughs> oh God, um, yeah. So so I've been doing a lot of sparring, a lot of training with Sam, and yeah, I'm still still learning, but. Um, yeah, hopefully it'll go well. It was supposed to actually be June the fifth, which was last Saturday, but obviously with the COVID, that that stopped that. So it's been rescheduled to July thirty first. Right. Well, it gives you a bit more time to get prepared, maybe. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good. Fix <laughs> <laughs> up some of my weaknesses. Yeah. No, it's a great yeah, training time. Like the training for it's amazing, isn't it? Yeah. It's like, I, it doesn't look like much when you watch it, but. When you do it, it's like, oh, it's so anaerobic because it's the anxiety too when you're getting hit and um, and also like the pad work where you, you – like Sam does a lot of – he's big onto the pads. So I've been a lot of pad work with Sam where, you know, he'll tell you a left, right, uppercut, you know, it might be a 50-punch combination you got to think as you're doing it. Like I said, I'm not the smartest uh, person in the world. I'm, I'm used to switching my brain off and, you know, pulling my arms over swimming and, you know, you got to think left, right, uppercut, Turn your feet this way. Keep your hand up. If I get, and if I put my hand down, it gives you a bit of a clip as you do it. So, oh. um, you know things like that, and you know not over punching and falling over and keeping your chin down is it's just so technical, and you got to do it under pressure or you get hit. So, well, wow. your heart rate's really high. So it's just totally different to what I've come from, and I'm still learning. And but I'm now I'm really enjoying it. Yeah, well, it's, it sounds like a, a really nice avenue for you to follow as long as you don't get hurt oh yeah what's well, um <laughs> i don't think it's a, a future career for me at 48 but it's uh, <laughs> a good challenge at the moment yeah it's uh enjoying it yeah 
Oh, that's fantastic. Look, I like to ask all of the people that come on the podcast, and we sort of have covered this, but um, what your favourite all-time swimming set is that you like to do? Like what's your go-to? I know you said you did oh. 1Ks, but if you're just hopping in yeah. at the moment, what would be your favourite little go-to set? Oh, I'm out of shape at the moment. I just swam in the bay, so I'm still shaking. <laughs> uh, I just did a couple of K in the bay. and um, Probably it, w- it would be my 15 1Ks because, um, yeah. yeah, that was my, my favourite ever set. I did 15 1Ks off 12.30. That was my best set. And then I got out and jumped in the bay, the Brighton Bars, and another 3K in eight or nine degree water. That was probably my best um, set I can remember. Yeah. Um, for, I did the Derwent soon. I was doing 100 hundreds quite often. Uh, I did, actually, I got up to 120 hundreds um, off 120s. So I've got a, I've slowed up a little bit as I've got older, but um, still got off 120s. Uh, at the moment, I probably would struggle to get off. Um, I could go off 120s still at the moment if the pools were open, but I'd struggle to probably do 10 of them at the moment. <laughs> so you lose it really quick. Oh, you do, at, don't uh, you? At my age. Yeah. It's, yeah. Because when you get older, as soon as you slow down, as soon as you stop the intense training, you, you drop you lose that top end speed. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so that's that's probably my best set was the 15 1Ks off the 12.30, probably my favourite set. Yeah. Well, we didn't even actually talk about the uh, the Derwent River swim. I know you just did that. Um, was it earlier this year or late last year? Yeah, that was March. Uh, I think it was March, March the eleventh this year. Yeah. How was that swim? Oh, it was great. We had perfect conditions. Um, Rod, Rod Watkins organised. He was he was brilliant. Rod and uh, he sponsored it. And he, I was getting a bit lazy. He's like, "Come on, let's do this." And so <laughs> he, he didn't give me much notice. So I was. I was swimming probably 10k a week. I was just casually swimming with friends, and you know, like I said before, when you when you drop your k's down, your times drop big time. And, and he gave me probably six or seven weeks notice, so I, I jumped into 10k a day. But most of that was slow for a, for a while because I was, you know, I was getting too sore. And then eventually, the time started coming down, and I started getting a few hundred hundred sets in. And uh, I probably came good about three weeks to go. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> the first month I was creeping along and. Getting McKay's in, but yeah, you know, struggling with muscle soreness and struggling to do any kind of good times off off the clock. So I'd ignore the clock quite often. And and um, we got there and got there. I think we got there the Friday and we was booked to swim the Monday. And it was um, yeah, it was it was windy every day except the the swim day. The Monday was beautiful. It was, um, but we started at three early, just three o'clock in the morning, maybe a bit later. Yeah, because we were trying to beat the prevailing winds that were, that might have come up later because. Most days the winds would come out, you know, mid-morning. But right. we ended up getting no no wind at all. It was like glass. And so um yeah, Rod Rod absolutely nailed the conditions. And yeah, it was it was a beautiful swim and great adventure. Good, good. It felt like we were away for a month. We we're only away for three or four days, but it felt like we were away for ages. And we stay oh. we were staying at um this place called the the uh what's it the shippies. And yeah. uh, when we yeah. first got there, they told us if you come late at night, come in through the back door or leave through the back door. Right. And um, off we got that. And we were leaving. We were getting picked up at about 1.30 in the morning, you know, to get to the swim start. And I stupidly went out the front door and set the alarm off. So, oh. so <laughs> the alarm was going off. <laughs> and when I came back, luckily we got a bit of coverage and um, the, the owner of the place, you know, uh, we, we, pumped him, we pumped his tyres up on, on the radio after us. I, I said, oh, look, I'm real sorry. <laughs> Wake everyone up. And <laughs> so I moved over the owner and, and uh, 
I apologise to everyone who was who was staying there that night. But yeah, I set the alarm off at about one thirty <laughs> in the morning. Oh, <laughs> yeah. And then we when we got to where where the ship was where the boat was supposed to leave, um, it was all locked off. So I'm thinking, oh, we can't get to the water. Luckily, we found um, we found a little pontoon where we can get the boat off, and um, yeah, everything everything went well after that. So we had perfect conditions and started in the pitch black, which was hard. So um, couldn't see where we were going very well, but um, but it was yeah, it was a perfect day and beautiful swim, and um, yeah, I loved it. Do you, do you have any lights sort of like going forward for you when you're swimming in the dark like that from the from the boat? Oh, that was that was normally with, with the channel they've got like um, a light and it's really peaceful because it, you basically just the light goes down about a meter and you just and, and there's just darkness around it. It actually sounds eerie, but it's really peaceful. Yeah. We, with the with this one, we mm. we, we had a spotlight on me and I had a kayaker with a with a light. But it was like a blinding light, so uh, it was really it was really awkward because you basically look into these blinding lights, and and uh, then we ended up just putting the light in front of the boat, so I just kind of I could just see the boat, and that worked out well. But I was really looking forward to the sun coming up because uh, yeah the the bright lights were really um really distracting. Yeah. Um. Yeah. But yeah, with English Channel, they have they have some sort of system where yeah that the light goes straight into the water. I think the light might be stronger. They've got a special light and. It, it goes down about a meter, so you just see this this light where where you just basically follow the light, <laughs> follow yeah. the light as they say, and everything <laughs> around it's dark and it's really peaceful. But yeah, in the do when I had the um yeah I had the bright lights on me, it was yeah it wasn't wasn't it wasn't ideal, but it's all first world problems. And then um yeah the light came up three or four hours later, which I was quite happy quite happy with, and yeah it was um, beautiful day, beautiful conditions and. Yeah, it was, uh, I was really lucky, very fortunate to get those conditions. Yeah, it sounds beautiful. Really nice. Well, John, thank you so much for joining us today and telling us all about your swimming journey. And um, I think that gives a lot of sort of advice and insight for other people who are looking to do those longer swims. And it's been a real pleasure chatting to you. Oh, thanks for having me, Danny. Have a, have a great day. And, yeah, hopefully see it squads. Yeah, I'd really like that. <laughs> okay, well, take great care. Okay. Thanks, Danny. See you later. Bye. See you, Danny.